Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. I'm Michael Anderson, and today we have Assemblymember Jackie Irwin on the program. We've got a lot to talk about, and we hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call 805-487-7847. GEICO Local Office. Michael Anderson is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Maranatha Financial. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Maranatha's investments on this program. All opinions expressed by participants on this program are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Maranatha Financial or its affiliates. For more information, visit Maranatha.com. It's time for Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson, bringing you a feature interview, a local nonprofit spotlight, and some financial wisdom. Get local and relevant information for the 805. For show notes and more information, go to maranatha.com. And now, here's your host, Michael Anderson. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show today. Assemblymember Jackie Irwin is doing great things here in the 805. We're going to talk with her in just a moment. And how about this? Have you ever thought about starting a business? Have you ever said, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll get something going and start that business? Well, we've got Marsha Bailey, the founder and CEO of Women's Economic Ventures, as our nonprofit spotlight. That'll be coming up. And this show will go on our podcast directly after it airs. You can check out all of the Big Money in the 805 shows on your phone with the podcast app. Listen while you take the dogs for a walk or listen at the gym. It's free and it's on demand. So go to your podcast app on your phone, search Big Money in the 805 to subscribe. Thanks for joining us today on Big Money in the 805, and now it's time for our feature interview. We have Assemblymember Jackie Irwin with us today. She is in her second term as the state representative for the 44th Assembly District. She is the chair of the Assembly Veterans Affairs Committee and chairs the Select Committee on Cybersecurity. She also sits on committees that oversee agriculture, the budget, higher education, along with privacy and consumer protection. Now, while in legislature, Assemblymember Irwin has had more than 30 bills signed by the governor, and we'll talk about a few of those in just a moment. Assemblymember Irwin also served for 10 years on the Thousand Oaks City Council, including two terms as mayor, and prior to being elected to public office, she was a systems engineer at John Hopkins University's Applied Physics Lab, and she also worked at Teledyne Systems. Assemblymember Irwin, thank you for being on the program today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Now, I want to start with this. You went to UC San Diego, and you were a swimmer. And I read that you were an all-American swimmer in college. So very impressive indeed. Many close friends of mine were also competitive swimmers, and they tell stories about waking up and having to jump in this cold pool for practice at 6 a.m. How was your experience as a swimmer? And the deeper question, how was this sport a microcosm for your life? Well, um, swimmers will tell you that it is probably the hardest sport that you can do, and it's not getting uh, in the pool at 6. It's getting in the pool at 5.30. And, <laughs> and I certainly remember a lot of those mornings with the fog covering the pool and having to jump in, uh, swimming that one lap before you're actually warm. As a matter of fact, I stayed out of the pool for years before I got back in because all I remembered were those cold mornings. But swimming is 
is a fantastic sport, but what it what it does is it really teaches you perseverance, teamwork, uh, sacrifice, and I think all those things really translate into life. We, we told our three kids that they were all going to have to do a sport because they learned the best life lessons, and often not by reaching the uh, finish line first, but by losing and making sure that they try harder and stick with it the next time. So um, it's helped me a lot. That's very good. I agree. And I share your sentiment with that in terms of sport and and how important that is. Well, let's go into this question. We first met and had an exchange on a water tour. We were on a water tour of the Hoover Dam, learning about how water comes to Southern California from the Colorado River. And I was very impressed. There was about 40 of us, but you were very attentive to kind of everything that was going on. And during that tour, we had a conversation in which you shared with me the origin of how you how you came to first run for city council in Thousand Oak. Can you share with our listeners how you first decided to run and how that evolved into running for state assembly? I certainly can. And I love that Hoover tour also. It is, if anybody ever has that opportunity, it is an engineering wonder. Uh, everybody just turns on their faucet and thinks the water just gets there and has no idea about the history of um, water. So I ended up running for city council. I, my two sons uh, played Titans football in Thousand Oaks, and one of the gentlemen on the board asked me to join the Titans board, and then they said, oh, and by the way, you're going to be president. So I thought, well, okay, if I'm president, I better get something done. So I went to a city council member whose son played with mine, and it said the, the fields here at Thousand Oaks High School are really really in bad shape. Does the city have any money to help the school district fix them? And this was uh, Councilmember Andy Fox, and he said, you need to think bigger. We, we do have some money, but uh, we also have three high schools. So I ended up organizing students and parents from the three high schools, Newbury, Westlake, and Thousand Oaks. We went to a city council member with uh, a whole bunch of people, and I think we had 50 students talk about their injuries that they were receiving and how they missed out on scholarships. And at the end, the city council gave the school district $2 million. The school district put in one and a half, and each of those schools got new fields, tracks, and stands. And it's made a big difference in the, the quality of sports there. So that was about 12 years ago, and that council member said, you know, you're a good community organizer, so I think you should run for city council. So a year later, after I'd served a year on the planning commission, I ran for city council, knocked on 8,000 doors, and ended up uh, on election night getting a spot. Uh, Al stood an incumbent. It was uh, my start in politics. Never thought I would have done it. I have no inter- had no interest in, in ever serving in elected office, but everything I, came that's together. That's fascinating. I think that's interesting how there's no, there was, I don't intend to do this, but then life events happen, circumstance happens, and you say, you know what, I, I think I can organize and make a change and help the greater community. And so that's what propelled you into it. And is that kind of what also led to the state assembly? How did that come about? Sometimes things, life doesn't go the way you planned. And I really felt that when I had this opportunity on the city council, I could make a big difference in my community. So I worked on a lot of different projects, preventing underage drinking. We got a community pool, a lot of those type of projects. And then the assembly seat opened up because the assembly member decided to run for Congress. And again, one of my uh, friends asked if I would run, wouldn't have considered that before, but I thought, yes, of course, I have the opportunity to serve my community at a higher level. So same thing, worked really hard. I ended up being the only Democrat west of the Mississippi to take over a Republican seat in 2014, and that's out of 
hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, legislative races. So um, really honored to serve the 44th district. That's great. And let's talk about that a little bit now. We'll jump into that. So now many of us are not really f- up to speed with our U.S. government classes from high school, but what does it mean to be on the state assembly? And what role does the assembly play in the greater community? Can you highlight some of those details for Cer- us? Certainly. So uh, assembly is is kind of, you know, at the federal level, it's like uh, Congress. So there are 80 assembly members and 40 senators. And each of the assembly members represents about 450,000 people. We spend basically January through uh, mid-September up in Sacramento making laws, holding a lot of oversight hearings. So, you know, we have we have a number of responsibilities in those directions. And then on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I come down and, and do a lot of, uh, try to do a lot of work in the community. Um, my staff that's down here holds a lot of events. I go and talk to Rotary Clubs and, and try to um, make sure that when I'm here that we have good constituent services and trying to learn really, you know, keep in touch with what the issues are locally. The interesting thing about that as well as I know a lot of people might say well why aren't you doing this or how can we do that where do the lines get drawn for the things that are in your jurisdiction with state assembly can you share or highlight the things that are not in your oversight well so at the very local level we really don't get involved with let's say school boards or city councils they they are they'll do things like you know it's like policing and land use those type of issues are all decided at the uh, local level and at the federal level you know we're always asked to comment on things like immigration or even um, veteran services so I am the chair of the assembly veterans committee most of the services are, are federal services so lines are definitely drawn there but our office we really want to be known as connectors so people can call us about any issue they have whether it's county or state or city. We have connections in all those offices, and and we always um, strive to be, have the best constituent services in the state, and and my staff does an outstanding job. I I constantly get calls from people that say, boy, your staff really got my problem solved, and it got me hooked up with the right people. So um, for anybody that ever has an issue, make sure to call my assembly office, and we're ready to help. Now, you graduated from UC San Diego with an engineering degree. So talk to us about engineering and how that has helped in your role as a member of the state assembly. When I first got elected to the city council, I was interviewed by uh, the Society of Women Engineers magazine, and they're saying, how is it different? Well, it's a lot different. When you're an engineer, everything is black and white. It's binary. And when you're a politician, it's it's all great, uh, gray. And so you have, uh, you know, we in the office go through a very logical process in deciding how I vote for bills, but then you have to worry about the politics also. And that's not necessarily um, as logical. I think I approach things differently than a lot of my colleagues, but also when you get into some of the real technical issues, um, there are a lot less of my colleagues that want to be involved with that. And I think that's how I ended up doing cybersecurity a few years ago. A lot of people are very intimidated by the idea of cybersecurity. It wasn't as intimidating and definitely a problem that needed to be solved. And, And I think engineers, scientists tend to be problem solvers. So uh, we've been working 
working very hard on that issue. I'm trying to tell all my colleagues that they're the weakest link and they need to work on updating their software and on their phones or making sure that they have the right passwords and changing their passwords. Cybersecurity is such a big deal now, and I want to ask you about some of the cybersecurity stuff going on. But before we get into that, let me ask you as, uh, about this. With the engineering and some of the work that's going on in engineering, you saw that there was a lack of access to engineering here in Ventura County, and you took some action and had some success with that. Can you share with us what you did and how you kind of made some changes there? Channel Islands did a survey um, a number of years ago and found that we were about 200 engineering positions short in the um, in Ventura County because the military is, needs engineers, and a lot of our local companies like, like Haas or or Amgen are short of engineers. So uh, I worked to get um, seed funding in the budget to start the engineering program Mechatronics at Channel Islands, and that program will be starting next year. And the reason that I was so passionate about it is not only because it will help our local businesses, you know, they have a very hard time attracting enough engineers because we none of the, our universities have engineering programs, but they have also have a hard time retaining because the cost of living is so high. So if we have our own homegrown engineers, they're much more likely to stay here and potentially start companies here. But secondly, Channel Islands is a, a Hispanic-serving institute, and it's, I think, 65% female. And those are both groups that are underrepresented in engineering, STEM kind of in general, but in engineering. And it's a really a great career opportunity. It's a great way to reduce income gaps of you know, between men and women or between underrepresented uh, minorities to be able to expose them right there at Channel Islands for me, it was really a, a win for uh, the community. Looking forward to hopefully getting that program expanded. That's great. We've seen that theme play out a handful of other times as well, where you build a program at a higher education facility and you teach the students how to fit for jobs that are needed that right. we're having trouble feeling. Matt Levere was on the program talking about the Gibbs Trucking a partnership with Ventura College teaching diesel mechanics. We've had other people, Greg Gillespie was talking about career pathways and Stanley DeBroff with the VCP20. So you're involved with that and thinking about how we can expand on programs that teach people how to be a valuable employee and re retain living here in the uh, in the 805. Now you've been very busy and you're doing a lot of great work. You've gotten over 30 bills signed by the governor. Can you give us an overview on a few of those projects that you've seen to fruition? What are a couple uh, highlights that you can share with us? Probably my biggest priority is, is uh, education. And so just a couple of things in that arena. Last year, I was able to get $22 million of funding for um, UC Innovation Centers. So 2.2 million dollars going to each of the 10 UC campuses to start or expand business incubators. So you have technology that's being developed in the college, but we need to get it out into the community, out into the economy. When you look at the amount of money that, that the UC system and our private universities are generating for the economy, it's pretty tremendous. So, so this money hopefully will get more of these ideas out into the um, economy. I've seen already, I've talked to somebody from Berkeley, and I've seen what they're doing at UC San Diego, and, and I think we're really going to see a lot more production coming out of um, out of those UCs. The other thing is locally, we saw that the numbers at Oxnard Community College of um, young people getting through uh, their programs in two years is extremely low. And one of the big roadblocks is the remedial education is not where it should be. So you have somebody that you put in um, that tests into remedial, and they end up 
you know, one, two, three years, and, and statistically, they're probably going to drop out. So that's a huge waste of human capital. So uh, we had a couple of bills, uh, one to put resources toward revamping remedial education, and then this year, making sure that young people are placed correctly in remedial education. So instead of just looking at it like this this high-stakes test at the end of the summer, look using multiple measures. So um, how did they perform in high school? How did they do on their um, college entrance tests? There's a couple of pilot programs that are being uh, are, are at other community colleges, and st- they've shown tremendous results if you place young people correctly with support into um, either remedial or college-level classes, and they're able to accelerate much more quickly through community college. Right now, the average student stays at a community college 5.2 years, and Mm -hmm. that's just Mm -hmm. not good for the student, you know, years that they can't earn, uh, and it's not good for the economy. So we want them to get that vocational degree or that four-year or five-year degree as quickly as they can. And uh, Community college is a great thing as well. I'm a product of Ventura Community College, and I did a semester at Oxnard Community College. So it's interesting to see how they are different, but they're both doing great things, and they're both trying to help people get to that next that next stage of their life. And so yeah. I think it's nice to try and help propel that, get them in the right classes to do that. That's wonderful. Let's talk about cybersecurity. That's such a big deal now. You're on the committee for that, and you hosted a hearing on this big Equifax data breach. Now, you're introducing some legislation that allows for parents to freeze their children's credit for free. Share with us some of the details about that breach and the legislation that you're working on. Yeah, I'm the chair of the Cybersecurity Select Committee in California and happen to also be the chair of the National um, Cybersecurity Task Force for state legislatures. And um, so we've been looking at a lot of issues, whether, um, you know, initially looking at the Sony breach and then the OPM breach, but this Equifax was completely in a different ballpark. What we have heard is that at least a third of all Americans now have their social security number out there in the hands of the bad guys. It's probably on the on the dark web. In addition, um, some driver's licenses, and additionally, uh, addresses. So it is a huge problem. This was one person, what we found out at our uh, hearing is one person did not uh, patch a, a vulnerability. Uh, it was a well-known vulnerability, and that is what allowed all this information out in the public. So I urge everybody right now to make sure to freeze their credit at all three um credit reporting agencies. Make sure to, that you um, have credit monitoring and uh, check your credit por- reports to make sure that nobody has open credit in your name. So it's this is this this is a really big deal. I tell people that uh, even if the bad guys don't use your information the next six months, they are going to have it forever. What we are going to be working with others on legislation to allow credit reports to be frozen and unfrozen without a fee, because right now these credit reporting agencies, the one in particular, Equifax, they didn't protect your data, but they're still making money off the credit Mm, monitoring. We think that people should be able to protect uh, their credit, freeze their credit, it, make sure that nobody opens an account in their name and they shouldn't have to pay for it. And uh, yeah, specifically, last year I got a bill passed that allows parents to freeze their children's credit report. This year we will uh, extend those, um, extend protections by making sure they can do it for free. Up until last year, parents could not uh, freeze their children's reports. Those were the most commonly abused mm. social security numbers because you basically have a completely free credit 
clean credit with, under a social security number, and, and often uh, if somebody takes it, it's not discovered until, you know, for 18 years. Mm. So we've heard a lot of horror stories about children opening, you know, trying to apply for college financial aid, and their credit is completely destroyed. We're running sh- short on time. Let's finish with a, another question. Our guest today is Assemblymember Jackie Irwin. Uh, now, I know you've spoke to a lot of groups about leadership here locally and, and help people navigate getting more involved in the government and also in the community. How can people get more involved? What are your thoughts and what can you share? I always think, um, you know, everybody can get involved at whatever level they can make a difference at. So they might see somebody that's an assembly member or a congressperson and say, hey, I can't really do anything. I don't uh, represent that many people. But if you find something you're passionate about and if you're able to affect, affect small change in your community, and if everybody does that, that ends up making um, making a big difference. And and especially for women, sometimes they, they hold back. They want to be asked. A lot of people feel kind of um, depressed right now with everything that's going on nationwide. And what they need to do is they need to look at how they can be part of the solution. Where can they make a difference in their local community? Because it all starts locally. So find your passion, work hard, persevere, make a difference. And, and really, life is about how you help others, how you make a change in your community, how that's what I think gives life meaning. So I would encourage everybody to go out there and make the difference that they want to see. Now, you can learn more and get connected with Assemblymember Jackie Irwin online. Her Facebook handle is at Assemblymember Jackie Irwin. And the Twitter is at ASM underscore Irwin. Thank you so much for being on the program today. My pleasure. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Nonprofit Spotlight. Here's a local group we want you to know about. Nonprofit Spotlight. Today's Spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Our guest today is Marsha Bailey, founder and CEO of Women's Economic Ventures, also known as Weave. You can go to learn more online at their website, which is wevonline.org. Marsha, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. So, Marsha, can you uh, tell us about Weave? It's a wonderful resource we have in the community, and it really helps people learn more about business and building their business and does so much more. But I've told a lot of people about Weave. Can you share with our listeners what is Weave, and, and how did you get it started? Sure. Weave started 26 years ago, and we started really to um, help women become economically self-sufficient through really starting and growing their own businesses. So we provide a continuum of services, long-term training, consulting, and small business loans actually to help not only women but men too start up, grow, and you know really thrive uh, in business. So that's our mission in a nutshell. And you've been doing a wonderful job with that. I know it's grown. Is it just in Ventura County now, or where, where has that expanded to? No, we actually started in Santa Barbara County in 1991, and we expanded to Ventura County about 10 years later. So we've been in Ventura for about 15 years. And between the two counties, we estimate that we've helped about 4,000 business start up or grow. 
That's wonderful. Tell us about this. Do you have any events or classes that people can participate in? What's the best way for someone that's thinking about starting a business or getting some of this training to get connected with Weave? Yes, we have a number of classes and uh, consulting services that are ongoing. The best way to find out about what we do is to to go to our website. Um, You can sign up for free orientations that tell you about our programs. We have really a variety. We have a program called Explore that's a four-week program that helps you if you're thinking about starting a business. Then we have a 14-week program that's called Smart Entrepreneurial Training, or SET. That's our most well-known program. It's a Uh, Like I said, it's a 14-week program that helps you write a business plan to either launch or grow your business. Um, That starts in September and February of each year. year. In Ventura County, we provide those programs in both Spanish and English. And then we have a program that is ongoing. It's called Thrive, and it is targeted to people who are already in business but really need some help growing. Lots of times people kind of get stuck in their business and they don't know how to how to get over a specific obstacle. And so Thrive is really a, lots of one-on-one business coaching to really help you get over those obstacles to growing your business. And then, and then the last service we provide is one of the most important, and that is access to capital. And I wanted to say that you don't have to take all of the programs. There are, are a number of different, you know, entry points. Like if you're already in business, you don't have to take the set program. If you need a loan for your business, if you're what we call pre-bankable, you can get up to $25,000 as a startup loan from our loan fund. If you're an existing business and still, you know, aren't able to get a bank loan for a number of reasons, we can make loans of up to $50,000. So we really feel a need there for businesses who often maybe they're not profitable yet or they don't have the kind of collateral that a bank would would look for to make a business loan. Our guest today for the Nonprofit Spotlight is Marsha Bailey. She's the founder and CEO of Women's Economic Ventures, also known as Weave. And you can get more information at their website about the Explore program, the SET program, or Thrive, or even loans for your business if you need that. Go to their website, which is wevonline.org. Marsha, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the support. Get ready to take some notes. It's time for the two-minute drill with Michael Anderson on Big Money in the 805. Two-minute drill. Grab a piece of paper and a pencil. It's time for today's two-minute drill. Brought to you by Spanish Hills Country Club. Taste the elegance. Golf, athletic, and social memberships. Visit SpanishHillsCC.com or call Cindy, 805-388-5000. What are two things that every adult should have a basic understanding of? In this case, it doesn't matter how much money you make or what you do for work, but if you ignore these two things, you'll be filled with regret later in life. Now, what am I talking about? What are the things that might be coming to your mind right now? If you're thinking health and finance, well, then you're right. Now, I'm not a health expert, but as a certified financial planner, I talk with hundreds of people about their finances every year. And right now, I want to share with you two of the most impactful things I talk about with personal finance. Here's number one. It doesn't matter if you have $50,000 in debt or if you have $500,000 in your checking account. Now, there's always going to be room for improvement and room for making progress. 
If you're getting serious about getting serious with your money, the first thing you need to understand is this, focus on progress, not perfection. Now we've all made some mistakes and we can all make a little bit of progress somewhere in our financial life. So focus on making that progress and think about this. Here's the question for you. What areas of your financial life do you want to make some progress on? Okay, here's the second most impactful thing that I talk about with personal finance. Number two, think about how you spend money and how you save money for a moment. Now, are you someone that likes to live for today or are you someone that plans for tomorrow? Now, is your spouse someone that lives for today or are they someone that plans for tomorrow? The key here is that you need to have a balance. Now, I see some clients, they make $300,000 per year, a lot of money, but they go out and they spend $350,000 per year. That just doesn't work. It's not sustainable. Now, I have another client, they make $32,000 per year, but they live off of $28,000. That's sustainable and it takes discipline. It's very difficult, especially in California. So it's important to live for today, but it has to be in balance with your income. And we also have to be planning for tomorrow as well. So how are you doing with this? Which resonates more with you? Are you planning for tomorrow, living for today, or balancing it out well? Now, where are you at the moment with your finances? Are you doing too much planning for tomorrow? Are you keeping your focus on progress, not perfection? It's not easy to stay on top of our finances, but it's part of being a responsible adult and a good steward with your money. As I mentioned earlier, every adult should have a basic understanding of health and finance or they'll likely regret it later in life. If you want some additional help getting your financial priorities in order, you can find a fee-only financial advisor at napfa.org, or you can contact me directly. I'd be happy to talk with you. You can get more information on my website, maranantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or leave me a message at 805-665-3767. Hi, this is Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I've dedicated the past 12 years to researching different investment ideas. There are no guarantees when investing, but with a little help, you can find the right approach. I have built AllocationLink.com specifically for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management made simple, smart, and low cost. AllocationLink.com can have your account set up in less than 10 minutes. You don't need to have a million dollars. You don't need to have $100,000. You can get started with as little as $250 today. The secret to investing is regular contributions and giving it time to grow. Please check out my website online. I think it will be a great resource for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management that is smart, low cost, and automatic. Please visit AllocationLink.com to learn more. Or you can leave me a message at 805 665 3767. Well, that does it for our show today. Be sure to stick around and listen to our new program, Inside the 805. That's coming right up. And thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. All previous shows are on our podcast and on Maranantha.com. M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Special thanks to Marsha Bailey and Assemblymember Jackie Irwin. If you're thinking about starting a business, go to Women's Economic Ventures website, which is wevonline.org. And if you have any questions about the show or questions about your financial matters, you can contact me online at maranantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or leave a message on my answering service, 805-665-3767. Have a great week. Join us again next time. Do you ever question if your investments are right for you? Do you own any annuities, retirement accounts, or have other money you want help with? 
Have you ever wondered what your advisor is making or how they get paid? Get a free second opinion. Talk with Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. Call his answering service today, 805-665-3767. Leave a message and get a call back immediately. 805-665-3767 or visit him online, maranatha.com. M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Michael Anderson is local and fiduciary. No commissions, no gimmicks. Call and leave a message today. 805-665-3767. And now it's time for Inside the 805. Listen to learn more about what's happening in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties and